Today's podcast is sponsored by Clocks and Colors. Clocks and Colors is handcrafted men's jewelry. They have pendants, chains, rings, bracelets, and apparel. You can check them out at www.clocksandcolors.com. Colors, in this particular case, is spelled C-O-L-O-U-R-S. Just opened up as a sister company to Clocks and Colors called Etta Love. E-T-A-H-L-O-V-E. This is for women. They also have pendants, rings, bracelets, earrings. You can check them out at www.etalove.com. Second sponsor of the podcast today is Manscaped. Get yourself a precise trim. Proper manscaping requires precision-engineered tools. Not only does a man's sensitive areas require it, but both hygiene and ergonomics demand it. Out now is the Lawnmower 4.0. This is a top-quality shaver. It features an LED spotlight with on-off switch, so you can see and you're not going in blind down there. This thing's running at 7,000 RPMs. It is waterproof. It has a wireless charger. And today I want to help you out and give you a discount code. Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the discount code Osiris20 at manscaped.com. Once again, the code is OSIRIS20 when you are checking out at www.manscaped.com. Let's get into it. What is up? Welcome back to the Infinite Mind Podcast, everyone. This is episode 15. Um, kind of completing my move right now, so I'm like, the studio is pretty empty. I kind of have th- uh, things in this corner to film this podcast, and I have just what I need to finish up the projects I'm working on. Um, you know, till Tuesday, I think I'll be fully moved into the new studio, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Um, I think I'm doing some things, you know, in advance, so the new studio is going to be a little easier to, to maintain uh, sound reflections and thing like that. So I'm pumped about that. But in the meantime, I'm in this kind of big empty room and it's feeling like uh, this studio is almost feeling like the past to me. I don't know if you've ever moved out of a place and then you go see it for the last time uh, and it just feels already like ancient history. It's it's kind of what it feels like in here today. But uh, I'm excited though. Excited to get the move done. You know, we've been moving for, we've been moving for like two months, basically like the new spot we have um, was kind of, you know, in demand. And, um, for that reason, like they wouldn't work with us on our, our move out date here. So we've had both places for two months. It's been expensive. Uh, you know, one of the bright points is that we've been able to kind of move, um, slowly, which is good. Um, you know, because we've moved in a week or less and, you know, that can be very frustrating and stressful, high stress. So this has been like a low stress situation. It's just been dragging on and I'm excited to get into the new studio. So next week, I think I might be filming this in the new studio, um, or or next week will be the last podcast I do right here. So expect some visual change coming in the near future. Um, as far as current events, Born of Osiris, Angel or Alien comes out July 2nd. Um, we had a call about t- uh, shows, so expect some dates. You know, I kind of teased Texas, um, so... Maybe expect some Texas things. We're going to announce uh, that on Tuesday. <clears throat> Talking about a possible headliner in the fall. You know, that might be more B markets. So when it comes to markets, an A market is like your Dallas, your Chicago, where your B market might be your Joliet outside of Chicago or like your maybe your Fort Worth instead of your Dallas. Um, 
So typically what people will do as uh, promoters, they'll book you like an A market tour where you hit the major cities and then they'll book you another U.S. run and it'll be like the B markets. And that helps you kind of cover all ground, um, you know, because if you did an A and a B on the same tour, sometimes, you know, they can be somewhat close, the dates to where it could be a conflict. But honestly, the tour would just be really long. So it's kind of a cool way to get, you know, a couple U.S. tours without... Um, burning out the same city. Um, some people will drive from the B market to the A market or vice versa. So people have the option to see you twice. You get to do a second tour in the US, um, which is obviously just easier being from here. So yeah, we're talking about a B market in the fall. Um, and then at the moment, Europe in the winter. So that's kind of one of these things where depending on where I guess Europe is and their COVID protocol and things like that, still somewhat up in the air. Otherwise, you know, Maybe it had been announced by now, but this tour, actually, this Europe tour we're doing was the one that was supposed to go down March 2020. And I think you guys all know what happened March 2020. So, yeah, we're just trying to get that going. It'll probably be in the winter time, but all of this is subject to change due to, um, you know, just COVID uh, borders, whether they're going to allow people from the U.S. into Canada or, or Europe or, you know, like each, I imagine each country is going to be different about it. So we'll see. But at the moment... Texas soon. Uh, U.S. B markets, fall, Europe, winter. That's the plan. And this is all in support of our album, Angel or Alien. Again, like I said, it's out July 2nd. Uh, if you go to www.bornofosiris.com, um, you will see T-shirts, mugs, hats, sweatpants, vinyl, just the actual CD itself. Um, I think we did art prints. We did a ton of cool <clears throat> merchandise items. So, if you're interested in getting a, a pre-order of the album or just any kind of new merch with all this new artwork we have going, um, head over to www.bornofosiris.com and uh, yeah, check it out if you'd like. It, uh, any of the support means a lot. You know, we haven't done shit. You know, no one's done shit musically in a long time, so helps us get back up and running. If you don't, uh, if you don't mind. Um, and uh, yeah, let's get into some questions. All right. Question one. If you could create a modern supergroup, including yourself, who else would you pick? I think I discussed last week that these are kind of dangerous questions that, uh, you know, I do see a lot because I always I always think like that band would never get along. You know, you got egos from people. You've got just personality types, you know, even things like politics are ripping people apart these days. So I always think it's a dangerous question, but uh and that's why I think Born of Osiris works so well is because we were friends first. And that was just, uh, you know, and if there was no music, we would still be friends. Um, so that being said, let's see here. If I'm on guitar, I think I'm going to have to put Guthrie Govan across from me. He's just my favorite guitar player, and I would love to work with him. Um, as far as bass goes, shit, I don't know. You know what? what I think is really good is... Uh, Tough question here. Um, as far as bass, like uh, Evan Brewer, there's this dude Killian um, on Instagram who's fucking really good. Duerte, I think, is his last name. Um, we've actually talked about him, you know, performing with my solo, uh, performing my solo music live. So there's a couple names that sound good to me. As far as drums, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm with who I think is one of the most unique drummers there is stylistically, and that's Cameron from Born of Osiris. I, I just enjoy working with him. Um, but, you know, I like Marco Miniman on, on drums. Um, he's like a freak. You know, it just depends. But uh, 
I do feel like my I feel like I'm with my favorite group of guys, you know, in a way. I know it sounds cheesy and stuff, but I love my band. Uh, both bands, all great people, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. But uh, so those are some names. And I hope that uh, hope that helps answer your question. Did you ever think about doing something else for a career before becoming a musician? So I think growing up, the first thing I wanted to do is make movies. Um, and I answered this question a little differently a few weeks back, but I realized I had left this out. And that's the, the first dream I ever had was I wanted to make movies. Um, I used to like write scripts with my buddy Scott, like when I was super, super young. I haven't even talked to this, uh, this gentleman in years. And like our teachers would like let us read our script to the class. Literally had nothing to do with what we were doing in class, but they were just kind enough to let us do that. Like, And so I'd been writing these scripts probably god awful since I was super young. And I've mentioned I want to make a, a scary movie, at least one in my lifetime. I, you know, I, I, I don't think my career path is headed in that direction, but I want to make like a really scary, uh, fucking gory, dirty, evil horror movie where it, it doesn't end well, not a happy ending. I want to make you feel uncomfortable, push the boundaries of what uh, something like you can't take your eyes off of, but you're you're maybe like feeling really kind of gross or un, uh, uncomfortable while you're watching. I kind of want to make something that really just pushes your boundaries, pushes your senses, uh, you know, in all kinds of scary, hard, negative directions. Um, but yeah, that's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, other than that, you know, I I mentioned I'd want to do be like a SWAT guy. I think I saw a movie called SWAT when I was young and I was like, fuck, I'm going to do that. Um, and there was like a vocational school, I want to say, where I grew up that was based around something like that, that kind of could get you pushed into that career, um, you know, in an unconventional way. But uh, yeah, I had entertained that thought too. And I don't really know why. I think that was just, again, real young. Um, but yeah, that's another thing that drew me in. What was the biggest hurdle for you when you started recording, mixing, and mastering? I think the biggest hurdle for me was learning that um, EQ and compression, like, not necessarily more is better. Like, when I say more, when it comes to EQ, what I mean is, like, people will be like, I want more high-end. So they'll just slam up the treble on something or slam up the high frequencies on a graphic EQ. And what then they'll do that across all their instruments. They want more of something, so they boost. They want more of something, so they boost. More of something, boost. And this is across your whole session, across your whole mixing, uh, you know, window. And you just get things competing. So one of the biggest hurdles was learning that everything has to fit in a place. For example, if I'm playing my guitar, and it's huge, it's got tons of low end, so soloed it sounds fucking monstrous and heavy. The issue that you find is when you put it into the mix, now it's competing with the low end of other things like the bass guitar or maybe the kick drum or the, the lower toms or, or whatever. But so what I learned is in, a, in the context of a mix, you have to take away basically everything that's not needed in other places. So when I play like the actual studio tones on some records that I've mixed um, or some Born with Cyrus stuff, like you might solo it and be like, it doesn't have like a ton of low end um, or the reason that is, is because when it goes into a mix with a tons of other low frequencies, um, it fits better and it can appear louder. It can almost feel like it's got a, a better place in the mix. So that's one thing um, to keep in mind is I would recommend subtractive EQing. And I think that's the biggest hurdle for me was to stop boosting frequencies all over the board. Um, just realize that everything needs to fit into a place. So 
my guitars, like I love a bright guitar tone, but I suck off the high end a good amount. And I love big fat guitar, but I suck off some of the low and it sounds counter intuitive, but um, in the context of a mix, it just sits better because it has its place. It's not competing with anything. Um, and, and so that is, I think probably the biggest hurdle is to just not get greedy when it comes to EQing. And I recommend Googling uh, subtractive EQ. Nolly has great, from Periphery, has great uh, YouTube videos not on the subject itself, but like his, I think he does like a snare drum video where he goes over his EQ and it looks like he's sucking everything out. And that's because he's leaving a, the highest part is the high end or whatever. So that gives him the high end. Not because he boosted the high end, because he took away the things around it. So that's another uh, thing I would recommend you look up if you're getting interested in into mixing and mastering. What is your average day slash routine like on tour? Well, it's changed over the years as our success level has gone up, as we've had money for things like techs and, and of that and things of that nature. For me, again, blessed to have guitar techs that and loaders and, and people that take care of all that th- stuff for me. So I really my only job is to walk on stage, to be honest. And I'm blessed to say that. I can show up at uh, 9 o'clock and go on stage at 9.10 if I want. I don't even have to be at the venue all day. Again, I'm lucky to say that. So if you want to know truly now what a day for me looks like on tour, I wake up. Um, To be honest, like I sleep in a lot on tour. uh, I I love my bunk. Again, another blessed thing I have, a bunk on a tour bus or a bandwagon, which is basically a smaller tour bus. It's like a tour bus minus the back lounge, and you get to save you know, 250 bucks a day. Cause a bus can be like a thousand dollars a day, by the way, they're not cheap. You, you can do simple math. You see how that adds up over, over a month, 30 days or so. Um, so yeah, what I, I usually sleep in on tour at home. I'm up at like six 30 in the morning every day. Um, and I'm like, I go to sleep early too at home. You know, um, my, my wife and I are like up early and going to bed nine and 10 o'clock, you know, but uh, on tour, I'm up all night sometimes, it is what it is, um, and I sleep in. So let's say you wake up and you're getting out of your bunk around noon. At this point, the bus is already loaded into the venue. No one's on the bus really except for the band because the crew's loading the stage, uh, setting up the gear, talking to the promoter. Um, Again, no responsibilities yet, so I usually get food. Um, uh, We have a shower on the bus most of the time, especially on bandwagons. They usually all have, <clears throat> all have a shower. Excuse me. So you take a shower, um, and then it's off to find food. If you're in a cool spot of town, maybe walk around, find something good to eat. You also have a fridge, so you can get whatever you want out of the fridge. Um, let's see. Sound check and meet and greet. That is, I guess that is another responsibility I do have outside of the show. So sound check, 3 o'clock sometimes. Or it could be four o'clock. Sometimes we'll push them closer to doors. And the reason for that being is we push the meet and greet towards doors. Because you don't want to have a meet and greet at 2 p.m. And doors are at six. And now these people have like four hour window of their day where they don't have shit to do. So we'll usually make the meet and greet maybe like five if doors are at six. So that way when the meet and greet's over, it's about time to start heading into the venue. Um, And for that reason, we'll kind of put sound check next to it. So let's say wake up noon, eat, see the town. Let's say. Three o'clock sound check, let's say four o'clock meet and greet, um, or four o'clock sound check, five o'clock meet and greet is probably a bit more like it. Um, and then back to the bus. And so this is when you watch TV 
again, blessed to have that on the tour bus, but it is what it is. Um, watch TV, lay on the couch. Again, you can go do anything around town. Um, and then really, let's see here. Getting close to showtime. Let's say showtime's 9 o'clock. Start maybe around 7 o'clock, I'm getting up. So here's a weird thing about me. I like to, um, I shower before we go on stage. You know, there's this funny uh, saying that Cece, my wife's mother, says all the time, uh, you know, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you win. So honestly, I just, I like, when I'm on, when I go on stage, I'm freshly showered and I also brush my teeth moments before the, the, the show starts. So I just feel perfectly fresh, even if I'm going to be dripping sweat in three minutes, just what I like to do. So if showtime's nine o'clock, seven o'clock, I'm, uh, I'm showering and then, uh, have some drinks. So usually some, some whiskey, Jameson, or we'll do tequila, maybe some Espolone, um, Don Julio, whatever. And so, yeah, seven o'clock, a couple hours before the show starts, we're starting to pick up the energy. So all the guys in the band will be, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're having shots. We're listening to music. We're vibing, we're laughing. Um, and yeah, and that leads up to showtime. So show starts, basically my tech will come in and say, Hey, 10 minutes. That means I got 10 minutes till I, to the sample starts, which means the show. Um, cause it would start with a sample. You know what I mean? So those 10 minutes before stage, you know, I might be warming up with a guitar. Maybe I'm not. Here's another fun fact. Sometimes I'll warm up for an hour and, and play shitty. And sometimes I won't touch a guitar and play fucking great. Um, you know, when it comes to warm up, I have not found a, a solid answer, you know? So, and it can also go the opposite way where I warm up and I feel like it was worth it or I didn't warm up because sometimes it goes great when I don't and then I don't play great, you know? So that's another fun fact, but yeah, warm up if I choose. Uh, I like to go to the bathroom and brush my teeth seconds before we play. And then the show starts. Then afterwards, you know, you've had drinks before. You maybe have had drinks on stage. So now you're kind of loosey-goosey. Your friends are, you know, maybe we'll hit the nearest bar. Maybe maybe we have movie nights sometimes um, where we'll just pop popcorn. We love popping popcorn on the boo bus. Have some Sour Patch Kids, watch a movie. Or it goes the opposite direction. turns into a party. Um, so, yeah. I hope that is not missing anything, but... I believe that's it. Yeah, the crew loads out after the show. So like I said, blessed that at no point of the day I'm touching gear or anything like that. Um, thankful for those dudes. Yeah, because back in the day, you know, I won't give you a whole rundown because this was kind of long. But back in the day, the day, when I started touring, it looked a lot different. Like you get to the show, you got to load your, load your merch bins in or help your merch guy. We used to just have a merch guy and that was it. And then you got to help him load those that in. Then you got to load your gear into the venue, but not on stage because there'd be like the headlining band on stage. So you got to wait for them to sound check. You want to keep your shit real tight. Don't have it sprawled all over the place for where no one can do anything because your shit's everywhere. Um, that's a recommendation for bands on their first tours. When you load into the venue and off stage because the headlining band is probably still sound checking, make sure your shit is in a tight space out of the way of everyone. Um, and then, yeah, I would load in the gear. Then I would set up the gear to the point where like when it's time to load your shit on stage, it's set up basically. So you can put it on, plug it in and you're good. So you don't want it because when it's your time to get loaded on stage, if you're a support band, you don't want to get it on there and now take the lids off and start to undo your cables. You want all that done when it's time to go on stage. 
Um, and then, yeah, once you're on stage and you've sound checked and you're not the headliner, we'd go back to our, our van, you know. Sometimes if we had money, we'd get a hotel, go back to the hotel for a little bit. So if you're like the first band, you don't even have time. Sometimes you sound check and you're playing at doors an hour later. So that's what an old day would look like. Um, and the first day I gave you is, is what they look like now. Um, that we're a little bit more established and have a great crew to make our lives easier. What tuning do you use on your seven string and what do you use to get your tone? Uh, my seven string is in drop G. Uh, it's just always been that way. I do a standard tune seven um, on infinite mind, but for born of Osiris, which is what I think you're talking about, it's drop G and most of the seven string on infinite mind is also drop G. What do I use to get the tone? Uh, generally axe effects up until now, you know, I just got the quad cortex. I'm enjoying that, but I'm in the middle of a move. So I feel like I haven't even given it full attention yet. Um, but yeah, Axe Effects makes up the bulk of it. Um, so now we're endorsed with EVH. Or we have, we're playing 5150s. So things are going to change. And I'm actually going to start learning what my new setup is in the next month. Because like I said, we're going to do some Texas stuff sooner than later. And um, with EVH in the fold, I need to figure out how things change. So one option is the four cable system. You can YouTube that. Basically means the EVH will be your tone. But... Um, any effects will come from the XFX still. And you could still use like the, the tube screamer from the XFX or you can use set it up however you want. You can also set it up to where one cable from the laptop will change my amp channel as well as my XFX channel. You get really in depth with these things because I, I haven't been using a pedal board because all my patch changes are changed by the computer that runs the set from the stage, right? So when you hear me go from rhythm to lead, and you don't see me touch anything, that's what's basically happening. It's We're playing to a click, and my my patches are changing on click. But uh, yeah, uh, to answer the question uh, a bit more simple, it's just Axe Effects. Uh, the guitars are all my Kiesel signature model. That's the LMX line. We have six, seven, and eight. So it's the only guitar I'm ever playing. Uh, regardless of the style, um, any any band I'm in, like, uh, and that's that's the thing is, I knew creating this guitar that it wasn't just going to be metalheads playing it. So I made a really versatile guitar. You could play country with this thing. You could split the coils and get really beautiful clean tones. You you could be in an ambient clean band, and this guitar is perfect for you. And you can play aggressive metal with it. Um, and that was important to me because I knew that the guitar is special, and I knew that even if you don't like my, uh, my music, uh, whether solo or born, but you wanted to check out the guitar, like I wanted the guitar to be something that you don't need to care about who I am to enjoy. You know, it's not about me, even though my name's on it. Um, so yeah, my guitar, Axe Effects. How to get a spanky tone through the tone knobs in EQ if you have your LM. To be honest, <laughs> My guitars are spanky sounding in general because uh, the maple that I like to use on the on the fretboard because of my illusionist bridge pickup where I literally went to Jeff Kiesel and said the word you just put in this question spanky. So the the, the guitar sounds poppy, bright, like uh, eccentric. It's like uh, I like that you can hear like the the string on the fret that I just it just sounds like you're hearing the guitar 
itself almost acoustically but through your gain and through it's like a fucking awesome thing man i feel blessed to be a part of it and sometimes you make goals of this is how i want the guitar to be and in the process learn that hey maybe that goal can't be accomplished or maybe i don't have the right tools or assets to accomplish it where my guitar and my bridge pickup i feel fucking blessed to be a part of because it came out perfectly exceeded my expectations i'm not i'm not telling you that to sell it to you make your own decisions but this guitar is spanky um right out the box and it's funny you said the word spanky because that's my my fucking word always that i'm using when it comes to tone and creating uh products what song in born of osiris took you the most time to write wow that's a great question i hope i don't let you down because i can't think of anything i'll tell you an interesting story about follow the signs though uh, this is one in particular that uh, I did write with Jason, kind of, um, because Ash basically found like one of my demos and some demo Jason had, and he was like, here's the deal. If you guys put these parts together, um, you're going to have a hit song. Ash is the owner of our record label. Um, and, you know, I don't talk negative about uh, Jason on this podcast and usually don't even speak his name, but I just want to tell you a fun story. And this isn't negative, but he, Jason wasn't really down. Um, and I think mainly because hit, our our demos were different tempos, um, drastically different. So you'll notice like when there's like a holdout, then all of a sudden like the it, the song speeds up, and we use that silence to, like as the as the time to switch tempos. Anyways, yeah, it's interesting because that that was basically born of two different demos of two different tempos and just smashed together. Um, so, you know, Jason wasn't particularly interested in the idea. But I told him I would try, told Ash I would try. So I took these two demos that we had and I just made, put them together into follow the signs. And uh, so, yeah, that there, I don't know if it took the longest to do this, you know, because I can't think of what one particularly took the longest. But I can tell you that that one has a very interesting story just because there was resistance, uh, you know, from him, there was two demos that two different people made from two different tempos and just smashing them together. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Ash was right, though. The song, you know, was one of our biggest for a while. And yeah, that's how it came to be. Can we get a duo with you and Breaking Benjamin? Uh, I I don't think so. I just don't know them or any way to get in touch with their camp i couldn't even name a song offhand um so i just doubt it any music recommendations that are hard rock and metal want to find something new all right i don't usually do this but how about i just go through my apple music in front of you you're talking hard rocks let's see right now i'm listening to the new alluvial their album is brand new it's called sarcoma that's wes hauk incredible guitar player and um that's his band. I would also recommend the new Gojira album called Fortitude. I've been listening to Tillian's album called Factory Reset. There's a lot of not metal on here. I downloaded this Darko album, which is the singer of Chelsea Grin and the drummer of Amir, I believe. It's fun. Era, the new Era is good. I honestly think most things Era does is really good. There's a guitar player that I like called O'Wayne, O-W-A-N-E. He's a freak, talented, so talented, like jazzy, progressive, poppy, hip-hop, experimental, 
fusion style and i think he shreds piano as well as guitar i don't really know i know he shreds guitar but i think like the piano lines sound similar to his guitar lines and i have a feeling he might, he might be doing both and i might be wrong See what else I got here. I got the Rob Zombie album, The Lunar Injection Kool-Aid Eclipse Conspiracy. Let's see. Uh, Humanity's Last Breath. I love that band. Basically anything they've ever done, I love. I have Thyred as Murder. Another good guitar album, Jacob Zytecki's Nothing Lasts nothing's lost and uh yeah i just hit the bottom of what that's enough but um yeah i'd recommend all those um other than that i i don't only listen to heavy stuff so i just had to surpass like a ton of pop and fucking jazz and other things but yeah why aren't booze and your solo album on Bandcamp? also thoughts on the platform Thoughts on the platform? I think it's probably great for unsigned musicians. Um, as far as why we're not on there, I don't really know. And I, I don't mean to dodge the question, but I'll say this. It's basically a decision that's up to the record label at the end of the day, Sumerian Records. So for them, apparently, it's not worth it. Or I'd imagine they'd be there. Um, maybe it just doesn't align with the way they roll things out. I don't know if a lot of signed music is on Bandcamp, but I know dudes like Pliny and other unsigned artists that are good i know that they're on there and so you know i personally don't have any issue with the pro uh with the platform i just don't know a ton about it these are the things that the label decides we make the music turn it in um that's about that you are my most favorite guitar guitarist on the planet from japan thank you i can't wait to come back to japan no question mate just super pumped for the new tunes i'm pumped as well this question is not in English. Um, what would you recommend to someone for improving guitar phrasing? You know, one thing that's been fun for me is, you know, when my wife's getting ready in the morning, we just play music. It's usually pop, tons of One Direction, <laughs> Halsey, uh, Dua Lipa, whatever. And honestly, I just improvise guitar out of boredom to that. Um, or not boredom, but you know, just something to do while she's getting ready and the TV's playing music and I'm just sitting there like, um, so I'll improvise guitar to different styles of music. So that's my recommendation. Um, so if something's on the TV, play guitar to it. Or if you're going to like, listen to music, hold your guitar in your hand and play guitar to it, improvise, you know, it'll, maybe it'll take you 10 to 15 seconds to figure out, you know, depending on your level of theory and all that. It'll take you a little bit to find out like what notes work for the song. But once you do and you find like some sweet spots or some cool note relationships that you like, you'll kind of improvise. And I find that improvisation like brings out phrasing because if you're improvising something, then it's something that you wouldn't normally do. Like we get stuck in boxes as guitar players all the time where I'll pick up a guitar and play like the same three things usually right off the bat. Um, and that's a box. It doesn't like hold me back as a songwriter or anything, but it's just the, the, the things I do when I pick up a guitar, right? So I'm not exactly advancing my phrasing when, I, when I'm doing that. I'm actually just playing the same shit all the time. And improvising to other people's music is a way that it breaks you out of the box because you can't just play anything to anything, obviously, because of scales and, you know, it's common sense. But yeah, so try just improvising to other people's music. I think it'll bring out interesting phrasing or phrases that... Uh, 
different note relationships, different, uh, you know, just patterns, different, uh, just anything. So recommend that. What drives you in life? Not even music necessarily. What drives me? Um, friendships, lessons, life lessons, uh, books, podcasts, my wife, my family. All these things make me want to be a better man. And all these things drive me, um, but as a musician and as a person. Was the riff in Angel or Alien inspired by opening riff in The Lucky Ones by Four Giants? So the answer to that is no. I don't know who Four Giants is, and I've never heard the song The Lucky Ones. So, no. Would you rather walk on your hands or eat with your feet? I'd walk with my I'd walk on my hands. For sure. I feel like it would build up your traps, your you'd probably be jacked. And that can only just benefit you if you have a stronger stronger arms, stronger shoulders. As far as eating with my feet, that sounds disgusting. Suggestions to improve the ability to play what's in your head. I know scales in theory, but it doesn't click. So this is actually, I'm kind of glad you, you asked this because I find that sometimes people learn theory and they treat it like a box. And when it comes to being creative, boxes are not helping anything. Now, there's a reason that the box is there when it comes to theory because a bad note uh, over a chord just sounds terrible. And so there there's rules for a reason. There's a box for a reason. I think understanding the box is important. But I'll tell you this. I, and I, I learned guitar for the first five years was only like reading sheet music, like classic sheet music um, and theory and stuff. But I'll tell you this. When I'm writing a song, I'm thinking zero about theory. I'm only using my ear, only using my ear. And now you'll hear that from someone who's like doesn't know theory, which, by the way, if you don't know theory and you have a good ear, you're good to write songs. Absolutely good. You do not need it. Sorry to say that to all you theory dorks out there. You don't need it. Um, you need a good ear. And the reason I say you don't need it if you have a good ear is because if your ear is good, you'll hear the note is wrong. So you don't need to, th- to know through theory why. You just know it doesn't sound good. So to answer your question, I would say, you said, let me see. I know scales in theory. It doesn't click. Okay. Just fucking write and don't think about it. Yeah, I think the problem is, Things can sound too much like that. Like, there's a band I won't name that we toured with back in the day. And he would tell me, the goal for this song was to do it all in this key, this exotic mode or scale, whatever it was. I don't remember the particular. I wish I could remember the exact thing he said. It was interesting, but it's, I'm making a song in this and this. And I was just like, cool. I'm sure it turned out great. He's a touring musician, right? But in my mind, I'm like, what's the point of that box? Like if it's a personal task that you've set for yourself, cool. But like when I'm trying to write music that I want people to enjoy and listen to, that shit don't matter. Like make something that sounds good. And so if you know theory, I would say congrats. I would just say stop paying attention to it so much. Just write a song and say, throw that theory out the door. Um, I have a feeling that since you know it and since you have base in, you're based on theory, that you're not going to make bad decisions. But the point is to just not be so focused on the theory of it all. I have people come to me and ask me questions about like Born of Osiris patterns. Like, 
what's this time signature? Like, how did you come up with this? And I'm like, to be honest, I freestyled it. And then just, that's it. Learned it. There's been patterns like on the new rain where we literally freestyled it um, on a recording. And then we literally had to write it down on paper and then to track the record and remember it live because there wasn't a rhyme or a reason or a mindset. And sometimes there, we focus too much on the why um, and we, there's no need. Just make something that sounds good. Um, and if it sounds good, you're probably already within the boundaries of theory. Have any TV shows, movies, or video games inspired you during a writing process? So TV shows or movies, I would say no, but video games. So World of Warcraft is something I've played for since I was 15. So long fucking time. Um, And it's not a game like Call of Duty where you need to hear like the footsteps and hear where shit's coming from. It has a gorgeous soundtrack. But honestly, when I play um, World of Warcraft, I fucking don't listen to it. I, I actually put music on like a YouTube playlist and let it let YouTube go down a rabbit hole. Sometimes it'll be, sh- I'll put one thing on that I know and then two other artists will pop up that I don't know. So A, I'm finding new artists this way, but also I find that the visuals in World of Warcraft and, and just taking in new music is a nice combination for me to feel inspired. So what I'll often do is uh, um, a, a writing process for me would be this. Wake up in the morning early Start early because you'd be surprised how much you can get done by noon when everyone's still sleeping. Um, so get up early. I like to make a coffee and, and sometimes I'll smoke a little weed um, and then come into the studio. So weed and coffee and I open my recording session. See what happens. If nothing happens, that's fine. Usually something happens. But if nothing happens, I'll close it down, open up World of Warcraft, throw YouTube on. Still sipping my coffee, maybe a little stoned. Something I'll hear or something will happen and I'll be like, oh, I got an idea now. I want to try it. So I open back up the recording software. In my case, it's uh, Cubase. So, yeah, as far as your question, I would say no, um, except for video games and particularly World of Warcraft. Uh, I, you could consider that part of the writing process because that's my go-to when something's not happening. I'll, it's the same computer, the same seat. Just close Cubase, open World of Warcraft and YouTube, let some random shit play on YouTube, take it in. The beauty of World of Warcraft, it's inspiring to me. Why do people pretend to know everything? I feel like we're, we're definitely creatures of comfort. And I feel that um, uh, to some people saying I don't know is like scary to them. And, I, you know, maybe there's like a, a pride element to that. Uh, but for me, like I'm, I'm so... I will so easily say I don't know. I will so easily say I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Like these aren't weird things to me, but I do notice for some people, those are hard uh, things to, to to work themselves through. Like they don't want to say they don't know, and they don't want to say I'm sorry. I w- I was wrong. Um, and again, I think it just boils down to we're creatures of comfort at the end of the day. And even if we don't know something, we'll convince ourselves maybe why we think we know it. I've even seen like like. Let's take politics right now, for example. When I see people fucking arguing on Twitter, I'm like, you guys are having fun because you are not going to change anyone's opinion. I read a quote today and I'm not going to try to attempt it, but it was something along the lines of like, um, you aren't changing anyone's minds. Basically, they've made their mind up, right? And and no amount of evidence is going to make them change their mind when they're set on something, you know? And people will even shape facts, 
I'm not saying they'll take incorrect facts, but I'm saying they'll bend things. We all do it, me too. It's just what humans do. We bend things to fit our narrative, whether we like it or not. I can admit it, right? <laughs> I can admit a fault in this. Um, but can you? And, and I, I recommend you just take a look. I like to read books about the brain and human nature and, and, and how we're still, you know, at the end of the day, we're still animals with animalistic tendencies and, and we like comfort and we, we're, we're not that far removed from like animal instincts. We're the smartest, sharpest, most evolved. But like at the end of the day, we still behave the same way that animals do in the wild. It's interesting. Um, so yeah, I'd read some books on it, but yeah, it, it, why do people pretend they know everything? I have a feeling just because it makes them feel comfortable, uh, because some people aren't comfortable saying, I don't know. Um, but I don't think you should be because when you can say you don't know, then you can un with, without a bias, you can learn something from the, from the place of, I don't know. But if you come from a place of, this is what I think. And then you start reading information, you're going to bend the shit you like to fit your narrative. So uh, saying, I don't know, or, or is, is healthy. Do you burn? I think I just answered that one in the uh, the writing process question. Uh, but yeah, I'm not like a big social smoker. I just, uh, to be honest, I probably smoke more alone in the morning than anything. Or actually at night uh, on the couch with my wife, sometimes we'll smoke. I just taught her how to roll blunt, so she's super excited. When will you, boo, be back at the masquerade? <clears throat> hopefully soon. I love the masquerade old and new masquerade holds a close place. We're talking about Atlanta for those who don't know. Um, some of the, the old masquerade, some of those memorable shows in my entire life were played there in both heaven and hell. And again, for people who don't know, heaven was up top big venue and hell was like the smaller one downstairs I had great experiences in both and they moved it. Um, again, it's a multi venue, multiple stages inside the venue situation at the new one too. But again, the same Atlanta scene, that just fucking kicks ass, man. Comes to those shows and just makes them all super memorable. So I would consider Atlanta like an A market, you know? So it might be early next year by the time we're doing that. But there's a chance it could be this fall on that B market tour, uh, tour that I was talking about, which is in support of Angel or Alien. How was your starting on guitar and how difficult was the whole process? Love from Argentina. How was your starting on a guitar? How was your start on guitar? How difficult? Um, man, I just played for so fucking long that like it was kind of slow and steady wins the race for me. Um, obviously, I've told you many times I'm not interested in the racing of guitar and speed and all the fucking big dick shit. But um, I only mention it as a phrase. So slow and steady, man. Like I just picked it up and I loved it at 10 years old. So I've been playing for 22 years now. And for me... It was passion. You know, I moved schools from sixth grade to senior year, whether it was parents splitting up or which parent I was living with or that parent moving, you know, just for whatever fucking reason. I was never in the same school for two years. And so guitar for me was kind of like my constant, something that I kind of latched on to that, you know, no matter um, what was going on in my life, I, that was always there. That that was the only thing that wasn't changing in my life constantly. I'm not complaining about my childhood. I blessed person you know what I mean there's there's you know I posted something on Instagram the other day it's just like I sometimes I forget how rich I am because I have running water a laundry machine a dishwasher I can afford a meal you know what I mean so I can I can say that it sounds sad I'm like yeah I, I was moving constantly new friends every year sometimes I gave up 
on making new friends because I knew I'd lose them in the next year. It's not a sob story. I lived a blessed life, and I have a feeling a lot of people do too. When you when you travel like I've been able to, and you see other parts of the world, you realize that we don't have a lot to complain about often. Anyways, not to throw a lesson in there, um, but uh, uh, yeah, guitar was my constant because of moving around constantly, um, and so I just played forever. It wasn't a hard process. It was like the time of joy for me in my day, you know. Um, it was just a center of joy my entire life. How did you come up with that sick solo in Angel or Alien? Um, I think Nick Rossi wrote the rhythm on, underneath the solo. And I think he just said, hey, there's a part here I'm working on. I want you to solo. <laughs> it's it's kind of that simple, to be honest. Um, he sent it to me and I, I think I fucking knocked it out pretty quickly. You know, the goal, I can tell you the goal was the goal for me in general, you might've heard me say on this podcast before is I want, uh, I just want to get something caught in your head. I want you to be, sing it like a melody, like a vocal line. You know, that's my style of guitar is, um, just, I want to be like, provide like infectious melodies. Um, However, you know, also like to play fast here and there. So I, I want I want to have a solo that gets stuck in your head, but also shows off some of the technique I've learned in 22 years of playing. That was the goal. And as far as the process, Nick had this rhythm part, sent it to me, said, you want to play a solo here? I said, damn right I do. Last question for today. Who's your favorite songwriter? It's tough, you know. I can say as far as... um band carnival comes to mind um i'm gonna go through my artists real quick because i'm holding my phone from the music question i'll let you know some some bands or song some artists that i believe write great music agent fresco animals as leaders i like this band arc echo as cities burn from when i was young love that as far as like the jazz proggy kind of style the bad plus is a great band um, I like this band called The Band Camino. They're kind of like a poppy rock thing. Um, this is turning into just shit I like, but uh, to guess to keep it more on songwriters, you know, it's just tough. You know, the different different artists for different reasons. Like Sam Smith, for example, that pop singer. I like love every song on like all of his albums. So, you know, again, when it gets to that level, I don't know if everyone's writing their own music. A lot of people have ghostwriters and producers, but uh, yeah, he makes fucking damn good music um i like this artist called dan lancaster so he's actually a producer he produced like uh bring me the horizon and shit like that but um he actually has like four or five songs and they're so fucking good so i write uh, him i love dead letter circus oh there's this irishman called dermot kennedy i fucking love his music it's like usually him and an acoustic guitar but oh my god it's good um growing up loved the faceless um Gojira. Um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of just going down a rabbit hole of shit I like, but I'm trying to show things that pop out. I like uh, Joe Bonamassa as a guitar player. John Mayer. You can't, how, you, how do you not throw him in there? I like this artist called John Bellion. Um, and actually, he's like a pop artist, but if you go to his YouTube, he, uh, he like... F- Films himself all the time writing. And so he'll, it'll be like the making of this song or the making of this song. And it's cool because you can, um, you see like, 
you say you like this song from him, you can go watch him write it. It's a cool thing, and I've often thought about doing, but it's just an exhausting process to think about a camera when I'm trying to be creative. And again, sometimes you sit down to be creative and it doesn't work. Um, Carnival, one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, Leprous, one of my new favorites. Let's see here. Mars Volta. I don't know how their songs came together, but Adrian, the sax player, is on my solo music. When you hear a saxophone, it's usually Adrian from the Mars Volta. Mick Gordon is a cool songwriter for stuff like the video games like Doom. Necrophagist was a big influence growing up. Let's see here. I like Pliny a lot as a songwriter. Um, Sam Smith, I mentioned. Sixth was huge growing up for me. Sleep Token. Sleep Token. I love what they're doing. Um, really, really fun stuff. Um, Tesseract is badass. Um, Van Halen, of course, growing up. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just kind of uh, telling you all these artists I like. But at the end of the day, it, it is to answer your question, which is, you know, favorite songwriters, and so some of the people that I just mentioned are those. Uh, those favorites. Um, cool. That's it for today. Uh, thanks for, you know, submitting these questions. Sometimes I don't get to all of them as the podcast grows, the amount of questions submitted grow and I'm thankful for it, but uh, I'm not going to be answering every question anymore. Um, but I don't want that to discourage you from Tuesdays on my Instagram going to my story. Sometimes it's like midday by the time I remember to like post this. I don't like pre-scheduled posts with any fancy apps. I do it by hand when I remember. So sometime on Tuesday, I post like a story and it says, on my Instagram story, it says like taking questions for Friday's podcast. That's where you'll find, uh, that's how you can submit. And then as I scroll through them live right here, I don't read them in advance or anything. It's all just in front of you right here on this podcast. I'll pick questions if I feel like I can answer them either, uh, well or even if they're just appropriate or inappropriate whatever you know um so yeah tuesdays ask me questions on my instagram and then you get the answers here on fridays cool i will see you next week thank you again goodbye <laughs>